This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser from Bloomberg Radio. Well, he's a star analyst when it comes to telecom cable and satellite space. Uh, he's watched it grow, evolve, and really be challenged over the years. And as someone described on our morning call as we were setting our lineup, he is definitely a legend. Named the number one analyst by Institutional Investor Magazine year after year, rated number one in the telecom space by our own Bloomberg Markets. Uh, and he his vantage point is really great because he understands the industry. He's been an analyst. He's covered it. But he's also seen it from the inside as the founder and CEO of the e-commerce business uh, over at Sotheby. So Craig Moffat is back, founding partner, senior analyst at Moffat Nathanson, back with us on the phone in New York City. Um, so good to have you back. How are you? What's changed since we last talked uh, roughly about yeah. a month or so ago? Yeah, thank you, Carol. Nice to be back. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think the big the big news um, really is uh, the, the big announcement yesterday from AT&T, which uh, about bringing movies uh, in so-called day and date, or the same day that they bring in the movie theaters, bring them to, bring them to uh, HBO Max. And that is um, really an extraordinary development. Um, it, it has implications for the exhibitors, that is the, the movie theaters. It has implications for AT&T itself. And I think, as you saw with a lot of the blowback today, um, it has a big, big implications for the actors and artists and directors, um, which I think was was maybe underappreciated yesterday. And boy, oh boy, did they hear an earful today from how angry some of their stakeholders are. Got a million questions. So do you think this is a 2021 thing or just a short-term thing? Or do you think this is something that becomes part of how it happens longer term and maybe forever? Well, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it puts them in a, in a difficult position because Jason Kalar, who formerly of Hulu and, and the person who uh, put himself out front in this decision, um, uh, in, in ru- now running Warner Media, mm-hmm. um, made it very clear that this is a decision about customers and that the customers want movies day and date. It's what they've always wanted. Um, and I don't think anybody would argue with that. It's customers would love to have movies day and date. The problem is once you say that, it's a little hard to put the genie back in the bottle and then say, what, we've in 2022, we no Can't longer want to put customers first? Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, it feels like, it, it, not just to me, but I think to most people, um, as if this is um, going to become an expectation and uh, it, the implications of that, again, are just enormous. Well, I love, listen, you just get into the weeds with all of this and you really break it down that, you know, when somebody creates a piece of content, you know, a major film or something, you know, the theaters is just one level, right? But there's so many other levels and you go through the pay windows, right? And and you say that often when it does its theatrical release, it doesn't necessarily make money there, but it's the later windows. Like you talk about the pay one window, like an HBO, that's where it starts to maybe, you know, be at least be in the green uh, on some kind of uh, movie. And and remember, it's it, it. We're not just talking about AT and T and Warner Media themselves. Mm-hmm. We're also talking about directors and and actors who have participation deals. So yeah. Christopher Nolan today, um, a, a critically important director to Warner, uh, Warner Media, um, is irate, and um, as are lots of these d- directors. So you know, in Legendary Entertainment, which um, w- was offered hundreds of millions of dollars for King Kong versus Godzilla to go direct to Netflix, took it took the the deal to Warner Brothers instead. 
and then got blindsided and wasn't told in advance from what we read today that, oh, by the way, we're taking your movie out of movie theaters, or at least um, we're going to be making it available at no extra charge on HBO same day. Right. Um, if you're a director and you're and, and, or an investor in one of those films and you've got hundreds of millions of dollars riding on the performance at the box office right. based on your contract, your head's going to explode. And, and from what we understand, um, they were not, ad, not told in advance in order to keep secrecy. So you know, when, when they did this with Wonder Woman, Right. Which was, uh, you may recall, yeah. Wonder Woman was the first movie, and that was very, done purely as a one-off. It was single film with no expectations of, of any others to follow, um, was moved directly to HBO Max in a similar model. They ended up having to pay each of, um, of Gal Gadot, the star, right. and the director, $10 million each in order to uh, sort of satisfy them that they weren't giving up too much in terms of their residuals. But you're talking about what happened with Wonder Woman and what people are now calling the Wonder Woman money. You know, the, this comes down to, uh, you know, how people are paid, right? It, whether it's directors, actors, all of the people involved in getting a movie to the theater. It kind of comes down to that, right? The upfront money versus maybe the money that comes later after ticket sales. That's right. And the reason this is all so important is, look, at the end of the day, AT&T is a phone company. Mm-hmm. And culturally... Um, you always have to wonder how well is a, is a phone company going to adapt to what is essentially a creative business. And the core competence of, of Warner Brothers Studio and what has made it such a special place for the last 93 years is that it has wonderful relationships with creative talent. And so I, I just I, I, I want to make sure your, your listeners mm-hmm. sort of appreciate how important it is for a studio to make sure that, that they cultivate and maintain those relationships. And they clearly have some damage control to do here because of the way this was done. So separate and apart from whether or not it was a good strategic decision, the execution, I think, raises some questions about did they care for the talent and the, the creative partners properly in a way that's going to preserve the specialness of, of what Warner, Warner Brothers has always been. Right, and as you rightfully say, and as people have written about that, it, you know, Warner Brothers was known as a place that really kind of took care of its talent, and so to see this um, is really kind of disconcerting. So what? So Craig, so do we figure this out? Do we figure out the pay issues? Do we figure out the transparency? And do contracts change going forward? As you said, once the genie's out of the bottle for customers, you know, are customers going to demand more of it be released directly to home, um, you know, through various services um, or streaming services versus the theater? Does the theater go away in your view? Well, I don't know that the theater goes away, but I certainly, you can't pretend that this is anything other than bad news for the exhibitors. Yeah. You do have to now look. The, the exhibitors, under normal circumstances, would have said, "We will simply boycott Warner Brothers movies, and we will only do business with others." And and they would have had at least some leverage. They they are so badly damaged by the COVID crisis and are barely hanging on for for dear life, um, and so they really don't have a lot of negotiating leverage here. And. Um, that also won't help relationships, but they they clearly um, ha- are, are in a very difficult position. Uh, so y- you wonder um, what what the play will be. I, I do think long term, 
this is the beginning of what, what's going to have to be um, the elimination of a lot of screens. Uh, there will still be the um, the experience of going out and enjoying a movie, but um, but the economics just aren't going to support the number of screens we have as this transition right. starts to happen. And you did. And put by a, the way, it may have implications overseas too, because yeah, that's huge. You put a movie onto HBO Max. You can guarantee that within five minutes after it ends, there are going to be digital copies all over the web, and they're going to be, and it's going to be pirated, and um, and therefore it's going to impact movie theater viewership in Asia and in South America and and in Europe. And I should put out, you did put a sell rating, right, on AT and T? Is that correct? Yeah, well, I've had one for a long time. It's not okay. because of this. Okay. It's because of a whole series of structural problems at AT&T and, and the challenge that they have in supporting the dividend. All right, good to know. So, hey, one thing I want to ask you, because we talked about it last time you were on, and that was about 5G. I have not bought my phone, but my the rest of my family has. Okay. <laughs> I did get off air, and I'm like, John, my husband, did you know? Uh, so we had a long conversation. Um, but tell me, you guys did a, a big summit, a summit, excuse me, a day-long summit, I think, back in November. So tell me about what you guys looked into and what kind of were the major takeaways, Craig? Well, I think one of the things that we talked about last time and that I think was reinforced at our summit from, mm-hmm. from all of the speakers is that um, 5G in the United States is, is still not quite ready for prime time. Um, we have a version of 5G that has reasonably good coverage but not terribly good speeds, and it's going to take a little while. T-Mobile is really best positioned, um, and I, but one of the things that was striking to come back to AT&T is mm-hmm. how much at our summit we heard from, from T-Mobile about how to, they were going to compete with Verizon and Verizon how they're going to compete with T-Mobile, and AT&T almost doesn't come up in the conversation. AT&T is, is I think, in a, in a much more challenging position for 5G, um, in part because of an auction that just started today. Um, the C-band auction, as it's called, that started at the FCC today, is is a critical input for 5G. Most of the rest of the world already has what so-called C-band spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. it's just coming to market now, and it looks for all the world like Verizon is best positioned to get it. That will give them an offering that's going to be competitive against T-Mobile. But you really wonder whether AT&T has the money to be able to participate in the auction because their balance sheet is so weak um, that it's just not clear that the rating agencies will allow them to spend the money that they need without having to cut the dividend. So it puts them in a very tough spot. That stayed with me from our last conversation about how AT&T was kind of, its hands were tied to some extent that it necessarily did, it didn't necessarily have the cash needed to be, you know, to participate in these auctions. And I do wonder, you know, that's one of those things that longer term, what kind of impact that will have. Yeah, if, if they don't, you know, these are, telecom businesses are really long cycle businesses. Right. These are not businesses where two years later you, you, um, move from from being behind to being ahead and back again. Um, these are businesses where cycles are ten years long and uh, or, or even twenty years long, and so AT and T's network right now is pretty competitive. It's actually as good relative to Verizon as any time that I can recall in the last twenty years. Um, but you really wonder if they don't get the spectrum with no more spectrum in the pipeline like this behind it, um, whether they could be disadvantaged for a decade or more. Um, if they don't get it. On the other hand, if they do, their leverage ratio would be so high that they're already teetering on the knife edge of of dividend sustainability. That would arguably make it even worse. And so um, there may not be any good outcomes 
Yeah, which makes it just even trickier going forward. When it comes to 5G, just remind our audience, you just got about 30 seconds left here. So do you, are you saying that ultimately Verizon, you think, is the best positioned here? No, I think T-Mobile is T-Mobile. the best positioned, probably. Um, their, their spectrum position is a bit better, and, um, and they come in. You know, what's nice about T-Mobile is they're the cheapest service um, by virtue of once upon a time having a subpar network. As their network now has gotten to parity, and I think in 5G will actually be the best in class, um, having the lowest prices and the best service is a pretty powerful combination to drive not only market share gains, but also margin enhancements. So yeah. I'm still still quite excited about T-Mobile, even though the stock's had a very good run. All right. Great to check in with you. Thank you so much. And really what's going on in terms of theaters uh, and movie releases, that is just something we've all got to take a closer look at uh, and follow. I know the markets have certainly been uh, reacting. Craig Moffat, thank you so much. Have a great holiday. Founding partner, senior analyst over at Moffat Nathanson. He really is a go-to uh, when it comes to telecom, understanding these companies, the cable space as well.